Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. If you've been paying attention to state politics recently, you'll have noticed that now that abortion has been returned to the states, some states, like Kansas, are having amendments show up on their ballots about abortion rights. After the U.S. Supreme Court overturned federal protections for abortion in June, the Kansas primary was the first true electoral test of abortion rights in this country. So to make sense of what happened in Kansas, uh, some of you may know a book, like what's the matter with Kansas? I've invited Nathaniel Burkhead on the show to talk about Kansas. So Nate Burkhead is an associate professor of political science and the department head of political science at Kansas State University. His research seeks to answer broad questions about the representational relationship between constituents and their elected officials and American institutions, especially Congress and the state legislatures. He is the co-author of the book, Congress in Reverse, Repeals from Reconstruction to the Present, which was published in 2020 by the University of Chicago Press. So Nate, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Gosh, we have a lot to talk about. I mean, you just had a primary in Kansas. It wasn't that long ago. So I know that there was a lot of turnout in the Kansas primary. First of all, is a lot of turnout typical for primaries? No, not at all. Turnout was, uh, as I may have put it in, in, in Twitter, bananas. Turnout was uh, off the charts high. Um, in general, uh, for the primaries, which is where people typically are voting for who's going to represent the, uh, the party on the general election in November, we see turnout about 15% or so, right? So if for every 20 people, that means three people are voting. This year, turnout was close to 50%, right? And so that's that's on par with a general election turnout, right? Where again, half the people are voting. Um, and so this was just off the charts high. Um, moreover, what we saw is that in Kansas, most of the people who vote in the primaries are Republicans because Kansas is a disproportionately Republican state. Um, so most Democrats don't vote in the primaries because they they're either don't have a candidate on the ballot or they're running unopposed. That is, they don't have anybody challenging them. So there's no point in voting in the primary. Independents don't vote in the primaries. Um, and so then you only have Republicans voting. But because of this, uh, this what they call a special election uh, as well on the uh, on the abortion amendment, uh, turnout was just incredibly high among Republicans, among independents, and among Democrats. Uh, it was just off the charts across all phases. So, given that you live in Kansas, you teach in Kansas. What were you seeing in your community when it came to this primary? Uh, it, it kind of, if we can kind of step back a little bit, it happened in waves. Um, so this this amendment actually was happening before uh, the the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, this actually was a, really just a Kansas issue. Um, it started with a uh, the state legislature passed an abortion ban uh, on uh, dilation and extraction, what you know people call the partial birth abortion, back in 2015. There was a state court decision that uh, that actually that put an injunction, right, that, that stopped that, that ban from going into effect. And the state Supreme Court ultimately said that that, that that ban violated the Kansas Bill of Rights. And because of that, then no other restrictions on abortion could proceed. And so uh, then the Kansas legislature then tried to change the Constitution, right? Um, so if, you, if the Kansas State Supreme Court says that it's in the Constitution, you change the Constitution, then the state Supreme Court can't do anything else. Well, uh, the Kansas legislature tried once uh, in the spring of 2020, uh, but they did not have a supermajority in the state house 
uh, to actually bring the bill before the voters. Um, so then 2020 elections came, the Kansas uh, House consolidated its power on the issue of abortion, and then they tried again in 2021. This time they did have the votes, and so it was able to bring, come forward. And so ultimately what happened is that um, if we kind of trace this through, then abortion, uh, anti-abortion activists were really energized. They were, they, were, they, were, uh, they were excited. And so if we kind of go back to say, March or April, there were a whole host of science that said value them both, right? Vote yes. And that was uh, the, uh, the anti-abortion group that was organized and had been pushing for this since at least 2015, but definitely even farther back. But then the Dobbs decision came. That's when we then saw the stakes becoming very real for people wanting to protect abortion in Kansas. Um, because now we're not just playing under the sort of the umbrella of Roe v. Wade. We're now actually, if it's yes, then restrictions can proceed. And if it's no, restrictions cannot, right? And we're playing with real money here. And then all of a sudden, then there's a second wave, right? So the first wave was the value them vote, value them both, vote yes. And then the second wave was vote no. And vote no was not as organized um, and like with one central group, it was a whole bunch of different groups. Um, and that really, they, that's when I saw a whole bunch of other yard signs popping up. And it was really common to see, you know, as you would just go down a residential street, a vote no and a vote yes sign just across the street from one another, neighbors with like sort of differing signs um, in a way that you don't see with say like a partisan race. Um, and so it was a really interesting time to just be just kind of observing politics uh, here. And now you had other, I mean, it wasn't just that this was on the ballot. You had candidates running for governor for other, for other spaces, right? Uh, and during the elections, during the general election, wanting to find out who's going to be the Democratic nominee or the Republican nominee. So did you see those signs as well? Or was it really just a lot of the abortion signs? It was overwhelmingly abortion signs. Now we did have some a competitive race say for the Republican nomination for attorney general, um, Chris Kobach, who some of your uh, listeners may be familiar with, he um, was a Kansas attorney general some years ago. Um, he made a name for being an anti-immigration uh, voting rights kinds of uh, kind of person, uh, really trying to be trying to really tamp down on voting access. He was a big proponent of voter ID laws. Um, he is uh, was one of Trump's uh, kind of major kind of consultants um, some years ago. Um, he was vying for a renomination for attorney general. Um, and so he was in a competitive race there. Um, and so you would see some Kobach or his uh, main opponent was Kelly Warren. You would see some of those signs. But by and large, it was just the abortion vote. And there were billboards too, correct? It wasn't just like the yard signs. Oh, no, it was everything. We, we saw there was, there, was, there was billboards, there was yard signs, there was TV ads, there was Facebook ads, there was digital ads. Then in the late stages, there was even text messages uh, from everybody, right? So and state laws vary on how much information is actually publicly available, but it's pretty easy to get voters' cell phones uh, uh, numbers. And so there's a whole host of, of test messages uh, sort of right before the election uh, itself. Uh, one sort of one that may actually, this kind of did hit national news as well, um, is actually uh, a misleading uh, text message put out by a former member of Congress, Tim Hulskamp, um, that actually told uh, Democratic voters to vote yes. That the, the, so uh, voting yes would, again, uh, actually allow for the legislature to restrict abortion rights. Um, and so it's, and so Democrats are disproportionately going to vote no. Uh, but he, his text message actually said vote yes to uh, help protect abortion. Um, and so, uh, so he kind of ran into some trouble with that. Um, but yeah. That sounds so. a lot like almost like push polling, 
right? Giving yeah. people false information and then making them vote a certain way. That's what they think about when they walk into the, the voting booth. That's exactly right. Um, so it, I don't think it changed a lot of people's minds. Like there was enough other information out there um, to, but it was certainly a uh, kind of a last gasp, dirty trick um, to be sure. Yeah. Not, sounds, not, yeah. Sounds sketchy. It was, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, now for the listeners who may not quite understand the primary process and sure. people, you know, again, we have primaries, we have general elections and within the primaries, we have open versus closed. So is Kansas open or closed? Yeah. So this is going to get a, a pardon to the listeners. Uh, forgive me for, uh, I'll try to break this down simply. So we had two different sets of elections going on. So we have what's called a closed primary. Um, and so that meant that say for this race that I mentioned before about Chris Kobach versus Kelly Warren, it was a closed primary. Only Republicans could vote in that race. But because of this constitutional amendment, then anybody could vote on that. On election day, when you showed up to vote, um, you would get a different ballot depending on your registration. If you're a Democrat, you got a Democratic ballot and also the amendment. If you're a Republican, you got a Republican ballot and that amendment. Um, and if you're an independent, unaffiliated, but you were registered to vote ahead of time, then you only got the amendment and that was it. Um, and so it's kind of kind of confusing. Um, in general, we would never vote on constitutional amendments during the primary election. Um, the primary election uh, is really only for determining those races. Um, the amendment should take place in November. Um, but the legislature actually, because they knew the Republicans are the only ones who vote in the primaries in general, um, they actually moved the election, uh, the, the amendment vote, up from the general to the primary to try to take advantage of a, uh, an overwhelmingly Republican electorate. The Dobbs decision, I think, scuttled those plans by really energizing folks um, and, and, and didn't work out the way they intended. Um, and so that's why it's kind of confusing is that we had a primary vote and also this other special vote at the same time. Now, did you have an influx of people getting registered? Because it no. sounds like, right, like it, it's more than just like trying to get people out who've already been registered. I'm assuming there were a lot of people registering. That's right. So, so how many are we talking and who was it that was most likely to get registered right now? We saw a big increase. Uh, we, there's two big shifts. Um, and one big shift was actually after the Dobbs decision leaked. Um, and then the other big shift was actually after the Supreme Court released the Dobbs decision altogether. Right. So remember that um, that there was this there's this leak of the draft, which has never happened before. Right. We've uh, unprecedented to have a Supreme Court decision leak. Um, but that happened in. Oh, was it May? I'm afraid I don't have it off the top of my it head. It was like right at the end of April, beginning of May. OK, that's right. And then the yeah. Supreme Court form formally made the decision in, in mid-June. Um, and so what we saw was that like actually voter registration went up in both those, we saw two kind of upticks. Um, but what we saw in particular was is women. Women registered even more than the sort of thing customer, right? And so what we saw was like these two kind of big upticks in both of those circumstances. Do we know anything about age? Like, do we do we do we have that data yet where it's like this is the the, the percentage of voters who decided to register a lot of young people then decided to come out and register? You know, I've not seen that data um, broken out. Um, my hunch, and again, this is just a hunch, is that, that that we would see more young voters registering at that time. Um, this hunch is kind of borne out by two different things. One, in general, um, once you're registered, then you stay registered, right? Unless your voter registration gets purged. And so that means that older voters are just going to be registered anyway. And so there's kind of just like, you know, they're going to be less likely to have to register. Uh, but then the second thing, of course, is that like we have seen young voters be more 
interested in politics of late, um, but like typically lacking some of that kind of skills gap, right? Like just like the, okay, I'm interested in politics, but I don't know how to kind of go about affecting the change that I want to. Um, and so there was a big push um, by both sides, right? Both the, the, the yes and the no side um, to really try to equip their, uh, the younger voters with the skills that they need to register. Um, and so um, I think that like we would kind of see both kinds of aspects there, which is why I think it was probably uh, especially kind of young voters. But again, after the Dobbs decision, the value of them both folks had already kind of shot themselves out. It was really the vote no folks that were, I think, were leading the charge there. Yeah, I was going to say that those people would have already been galvanized to register beforehand because they knew this was coming up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So for all listeners who perhaps are driving around and you've tuned in and you're like, who is this brilliant person that Heather is interviewing on her radio show? Uh, hey, everyone. So this is Red, White, and Confused. I'm Heather Evans. And the person I've been interviewing is Nathaniel Burkhead. He is an associate professor of political science and also the department head at Kansas State University. So we've been talking about Kansas. What's been going on in Kansas? What's up with abortion in Kansas? Okay. So we just talked about young people. Maybe they they were more likely to engage women. They were more likely to get registered to vote. I have seen a lot of things online about how this affects partisanship, how this is going to affect the general election coming up and all that. Now, let's back up for a second and just talk about registration. Because with Kansas being a closed primary state, for those new potential voters, those people who were registering, did the Democrats gain a percentage who decided, yes, I'm registering as a Democrat this time versus registering as a Republican? Yes, we saw a Democratic registration increase relative to, to Republicans. Um, and so that will that may help the Democrats this fall um, as, 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 as voter interest increases. Um, and then as sort of, uh, as then the Democrats now have more folks on their lists that they can contact and try to help stimulate more, get out the vote um, uh, kind of efforts in the fall as well. So, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about partisanship and all of this, because obviously in Kansas, we have this issue getting people to the polls First of all, so we're going to talk about this from two directions. So with Democrats versus with Republicans, because yep. a lot of Democrats are saying things like, you know, now we've, we've definitely got a campaign on this because obviously people are interested in this issue, but abortion's not on all the ballots. Right. So I guess, as you mentioned, you kind of think it could help Democrats. What would Democrats need to do for it to help them? Um, yeah, so it's going to vary, of course, as you say, on the state. Um, and so um, I think that one thing that we know is that loss aversion, right? So people who have something and are worried about losing it, that motivates people in a way that promising something farther off does not. Um, it's very easy to like, okay, I have this and I might lose it. That animates uh, behavior in a different way. Just psychologically, our brains don't work in the same kind of ways as if I promise something or if I'm going to take something away, even if it's $100, right? If I'm going to take $100 away from you, you're going to act differently than if I promise to give you $100 for the exact same thing. Um, and so because of that, if Democrats campaign on that sort of behavior, even if there's nothing on the ballot, that can motivate turnout. That can motivate uh, sort of uh, giving, knocking on doors, all of that stuff. Um, and so even if there's nothing's on the ballot, if Democrats uh, dive into this, they are likely to see some benefits. Again, here in Kansas, we saw Republican counties that went Trump, say, 70 percent, vote about 55 percent for this amendment. Right. So we're talking about a 15 point gap in these counties um, that, again, are heavily Republican. 
they still lost a lot of votes on this amendment. And so I think that like that for Democrats, if they want to really kind of push their advantage on this issue, which again is salient, it's easy to understand, it's important to people, then triggering that loss aversion, I think is going to be, would be an effective strategy. Okay. So now we're going to flip it. So you're, let's say you're giving advice to the Republicans and you're like, okay, so it seems like the Democrats have a leg up over here on this particular issue. What should Republicans be doing right now? That's a good question. I think that it kind of depends on your, I think that the, I think the Democrats have an easier time on this issue because you're typically just going to kind of run on one kind of message. I think the Republicans would want to run on kind of two different messages depending on their local populace. If you are, if you're representing a, if you are, say, a member of Congress or a state legislator or something else like that, representing a small area, and you know that your small area is deeply conservative, then continue to run the same way that you have on on abortion. But if you are representing an area that is a little bit more marginal, right, you have kind of suburban uh, areas, right, where abortion access is actually something people care about. You either soften your stance and say, listen, you know, we need to figure out ways to to do both, right? To like, one of the things about the abortion amendment here in Kansas was that it included abilities for the legislature to restrict things, even in the cases of incest or health of the mother or rape. That doesn't play well with a lot of constituencies, not all, but a lot of constituencies. And so I think that softening those stances there, again, if you can, right, that that's an effective one. On the other hand, if it's vulnerable for you, sometimes the best thing to do is not call attention to it at all and instead talk about loss somewhere else. Talk about inflation, right? The, the thing that's wild is like Dr. Oz is everybody's making fun of him for these stupid commercials when he's going through the grocery store. All you got to do is talk about inflation, right? And it'd be very easy to do. Um, and so just, just talk about loss in that way instead. And I was also thinking about guns because people who have guns, right? They already Absolutely. own those guns. It's that loss thing, right? Like, right. you know, it's not something that's being promised. It's something that could be taken away from you. And so uh-huh. people are reacting uh-huh. to these things. So if Republicans talk about guns and they talk about anything involving prices at the pump, things at the grocery store, housing, yep. like the price of housing has skyrocketed. People can't get places to rent. That's right. Change you the narrative. You, you do that, right? You talk about sort of, you know, like, you know, Joe Manchin, of course, has been very successful at getting, uh, Get, getting uh, uh, benefits for coal while also green energy, but you know that's local to a couple areas, right? So you talk about how you know we're still not investing in these areas that need more investment, right? And like you talk about like how jobs are going over there instead of over here, right? You can still continue to beat that drum, and it's still an effective rhetorical strategy. Yeah. Now, at the end of the day, in Kansas, when this happened, the primary happened, and um, a lot of people voted no. That included some Republicans, right? right? Right. So what percentage are we talking about here? Um, we're, it's hard to say which percentage of, of actual Republicans, right? So we have to kind of break things down by, say, county or, or just kind of aggregate stats. But we are talking about a sizable, we're talking 15, 20% at least among Republicans who voted no on the amendment. Um, and so that is a, in a conservative state like Kansas, we're talking about a sizable, sizable shift. Um, and so, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20% is, is definitely going to draw a lot of attention. Um, and, and that, that should give pause to legislators in other states. Um, and that's, I think, the thing that, you know, Indiana, of course, uh, passed a restriction on abortion, um, but they did not, it was not voted on, voted on by the, by the citizens, it was passed by the state legislators. Um, I think that 
as we kind of continue going along, the Kansas vote does show, though, that, that these kinds of restrictions may be unpopular with the voters. Um, but once it gets mixed up with guns and and uh, and education and inflation and partisanship, just clearly, um, we'll see exactly how much it kind of gets how much of that filters through in a you know in a November election. Yeah, because I have to think about like, okay, so the issue obviously drew some Republican voting in a, in a way that perhaps not everyone expected them to, but it doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't vote for Republicans during the general election. So in Kansas, do you think that the turnout that you saw in the primary is going to spill over to the general or is it really just like a one time boom, this was on the ballot and so people are motivated around that? That, that's the big question. Um, I would expect to see high turnout again for the general. Um, there is going to be a very competitive race for governor. Um, and so we have a Democratic governor, even though we are a Republican state. Um, and so that, that will be a competitive race. Competitive races do just generally come with more turnout. Um, and so I would expect to see high turnout there, um, especially because the legislature is going to come back around and to continue to try to figure out ways to restrict abortion again. Um, and so we should expect to see that. And if you have a Democratic governor, then Democratic governor will be kind of a block on that, whereas a Republican governor won't. And so I would expect very much to see um, people who want to protect abortion rights to try to drive turnout again on that on the, on that alone. Um, and so, but that said, it, it, there's nothing that quite replaces, A, the energy of a June Supreme Court decision a July voter registration window and August vote. We're talking two months from start to finish. That's voters don't lose attention there. By the time we get to November, people have started to, the energy's kind of died down. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that it's a single issue is very clear. Yes, no, either one is gonna have a direct result. Um, once you get to partisan races, then things get kind of mired, right? People don't like parties necessarily, right? Even Demo people who vote Democrat or even who vote Republican consistently are still very often complaining about the parties, even as they do it. Um, and we're, that's, that's also going to just drive down turnout a little bit as well. But I would still expect general turnout to be on the high side. Now, in your state, do you, I mean, is competitiveness regular? I mean, do you have regular competitive elections. I assume that in Kansas, you, you, you haven't had super competitive races in a while. Yeah, that's right. So we have, um, we've had competitive governor's races, uh, in 2018, there was a very competitive governor's race there. Um, and so that was between Laura Kelly and Chris Kobach, um, who I've mentioned before. Um, interesting fact there, um, Chris Kobach was the only one who ran statewide on the Republican side who lost. So people voted for, Laura Kelly, the Democratic governor, but then they voted for the Republican Secretary of State, the Republican Attorney General, the Republican Commissioner for Insurance, right? And so they actually, you can, and then like, you can actually go through and identify, okay, like they voted Republican down the ballot and then they voted for Laura Kelly, right? And so like, there's an anti-Chris Kobach kind of uh, penalty. He has no coattails. That's what that yeah. is. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. He's got reverse coattails, right? Yeah. Like, like he, yeah, he's you know, the opposite of King Midas. Um, and, you know, everything he touches turns to lead. Um, and so, um, but by contrast, um, at this, aside from those big statewide races, nothing's competitive. Um, very few districts are competitive. And so if you are a, just voting for your state legislator um, in the state house, either state house or state Senate, congressional districts, 
um, three out of the four congressional districts are incredibly safe. The only congressional district that's competitive is just outside of Kansas City, where we have Sharice Davids, who's a Democrat. Um, she's going to she's facing a pretty tough reelection campaign this November. But so 75 percent of congressional seats are uncompetitive. Thirty five percent of Kansas uh, House races are unopposed. Right. So you don't even have a chance to register your frustration with them. And, and so what we're talking about is by and large, um, we don't see a lot of electoral competition, which is bad. We want electoral competition, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, because when you have electoral competition, that makes legislators be responsive to their citizens and allow citizens the chance to say, hey, I don't like what you're doing, or you were doing great, keep it up. But without that competition, we don't get the chance to make our legislators listen to us. Agreed. My goodness. I mean, I, I feel like we're about to have another 30 minute episode just on competitive <laughs> elections because they're so important. And that's why you saw the turnout this time, right? That's, that's, right. that's the whole point. And, you know, if you, if you want to get students involved, young people involved in politics, give them candidates or an issue that's actually neck and neck. That's right. That's right. For, they don't know, you know, you don't know who's going to win. It's, it's like right. watching a football game, right? Like we're going to sit down and watch the Super Bowl, the if the Super Bowl is a blowout, yep, nobody cares. People turn yeah. off the TV. That's uh, what's yeah. happened. That's that's elections. I'm a, I'm a Denver Broncos fan, and so when the Broncos <laughs> made the Super Bowl to play the Seahawks, uh, what was it, maybe eight or nine years ago, um, the the Broncos just got their butts kicked by the Seahawks, right? Like, and I turned it off at halftime, and just my wife and I watched Justified because we were just like, I cannot handle. I could not handle watching the Broncos get their butts kicked. And that was my team. Um, yeah, like like uncompetitive football games, bad for sports, uncompetitive elections, bad for politics, right? Bad it for is. America. Yep. It is. So I hope that in Kansas that you continue to see a high voter turnout in November. Because you said that there is going to be the competitive race for governor. That's right. That's right. So so you're going to have I'm going to have to check back in with you as we get closer, because you're on a campus and and I want to know if young people are talking about November, because honestly, I think that they're they can kind of tell us if something is going to be competitive or not. So if young people are really talking about an election, then it's like, OK, we're going to see how that that's what happened in Texas with like Beto and Cruz. Oh, yeah. Young people were like all over that. And so yeah. if young people are all over this gubernatorial election, then it'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah. 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 We're, yeah, we're starting to try to try to do more stuff. Um, just like just voter information uh, sort of, uh, events, um, you know, just like a candidate forum, like things like that, just to try to, just try to try to see what's kind of around to try to simulate some interest. If there's some people who are casually interested. Um, but yeah, the, you can't replace just organic interest, right? If the students are just naturally interested, then I just want to just kind of just, you got some momentum, let's just kind of keep it going. And so yeah. we'll just kind of see what happens. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show today to talk about Kansas. And, you know, I've been seeing people talking about how this is good news for Democrats. We're going to see how it shakes out in November. I mean, you know, yeah. should Democrats campaign on this? Probably. Can Republicans campaign on other stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, will there be enough interest about abortion to sustain Democratic voters in November? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. If yeah, I would keep my money in my pocket, right? The sports gambling is not legal in Kansas yet. Um, but I would tell you that, you know, the odds are still pretty high that the Republicans take back control of the House. Um, like, we'll see what happens in the Senate. But, you know, presidents and then facing midterm elections, they lose seats. And the Democrats don't have the margins to allow the, the allow themselves to protect the sort of the, that margin. So, 
yeah, like this is, yeah, certainly good news for Democrats, right? Um, but is it like good news, like good enough news? I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> so. I know. It's like, I keep watching it. Like it's the economy, stupid. Like, come yeah. on. Like they're going to yeah. crush you on the economy. Start yeah. talking about the economy. So anyways, right. thanks again for being on the show. And thanks to everybody for listening. This is Red, White, and Confused. If you missed any piece of this, you can catch up anytime on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week.